Welcome to the First Church Message of the Week podcast. Thanks for listening in. How do we use, let alone recognize, the abundant gifts God has given us? All that we acquire comes from God. Our management of these gifts is an important part of stewardship. It matters what we do with our time, talents, and finances. In this week's Message of the Week, we encounter the question, how do we give of ourselves fully? We hear from Pastor Jen Tyler, who shares from Mark 10, and highlights that the first will become last, and the last will become first. Here is the First Church Message of the Week. you pray with me. Faithful and loving God, we ask that you would open our ears that we might hear your voice more clearly in our midst in this time. Open our eyes that we might see you more clearly and our hearts that we might love you more deeply as you rid us from any and all distractions so that all that we see and hear and know and feel and speak are of you. Amen. So this weekend, we are continuing on our sermon series as we move from membership into a deeper discipleship and focus on what it means to dive a little bit deeper into our membership vows of committing our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service, and our witness. And so today we're going to talk about the opportunity that we have to live more fully into embracing and sharing our gifts by talking about how Jesus, well, he tended to unapologetically take what we think we know and to shake it up a bit. He sure liked to make what we know a little bit uncomfortable as he shifts our perspective a bit. And we're going to do that a little today as we talk about one of those things that makes many of us squirm in our seats. And that is by talking about one of those three things that we're never supposed to talk about, right? They tell us that we're not supposed to talk about religion, which I'm pretty bad about doing, right? They tell us you're not supposed to talk about money, which is exactly what we're going to do today in worship. And then they tell us we're not supposed to talk about politics, which we're not going to do today, I promise. No matter how much society may have taught us this, that maybe we're not, maybe I'm not the only one, right, who's been told you shouldn't talk about these three things, but I have to admit that Honestly, I almost like talking about things like money because while I think that that can be uncomfortable, I enjoy it because it's also freeing. It can also be life-giving. I think Jesus thought that. I mean, Jesus talked about money. Did you know this, that Jesus talked about money almost more than anything else in all of scripture? Second only to talking about the kingdom of God. That's why I think we should talk about it, not because it's fun or it's always comfortable, not because it's easy even, but because when there are bills to pay and choices to make, we should be faithful in how we make those choices. How we live our lives in faith should impact all of who we are, up to and including our finances. And so it is good to talk about because it's important. It helps us stay focused. It helps us stay accountable. And most of all, I hope it helps us to trust in God as we talk about it in healthy ways. Now, in the particular passage that I want to read for us today, the one that Sandy referenced, it's worth noting that Jesus didn't bring it up. So he talked about money a lot, but he wasn't always the first 
to make sure that everyone thought or knew it was important. Instead, today he talks about it in this passage because people had asked, kind of. In fact, in this passage, he's all but begged to talk more about the things that we should be doing with our life and faith. And so I want you to hear what I mean as I read for us from the Gospel of Mark in the 10th chapter, beginning in verse 17. Jesus, it says, as Jesus was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good, but God alone. If you know the commandments, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. He said to him, teacher, I have kept all of these since my youth. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, you lack one thing. Go, sell what you own and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he was shocked and went away grieving, for he had many possessions. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were perplexed at these words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. They were greatly astounded and said to one another, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, for mortals, it is impossible, but not for God. For God, all things are possible. Peter began to say to him, look, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, truly, I tell you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the good news who will not receive a hundredfold now in this age, houses, brothers and sisters, mothers and children and fields with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Here ends our reading today. Now, if the topic of money isn't enough to make you wiggle in your seat uncomfortably a little bit, this passage hopefully does that for you, doesn't it? Now, I want you to back up with me. We're going to try to unpack these words a little bit. But as we do so, I want you to start with me at the beginning of this passage where we are told that Jesus, as he was setting out on a journey, the man ran up and knelt before him and asked him what he must do to inherit eternal life. Did you catch that? How he knelt before him? He didn't just run up and casually ask Jesus questions or what he should do to be faithful. He was kind of begging him down on his knees as he asked what he must do to inherit eternal life. Now, I admit that part of me when I read this and when I read Jesus' answer, part of me wants to tell you a good news of a different kind. Nothing, by the way, and we believe and know this, right? There is nothing that you have to do 
to live into the fullness of God's love and grace. There's nothing. We know that. We believe that. That God's love is freely given. There is nothing in your actions that you can do to know these truths. That God's grace is sufficient and nothing you ever do will make you worthy of inheriting the kingdom. This is true. And that's not the answer Jesus gives in this passage. In fact, Jesus instead lists off the six commandments and tells him that when he has kept those commandments, that you will inherit the kingdom life. But I love that Jesus doesn't just tell him this. Did you notice this? How it tells us that Jesus looks at the man and loves him before telling him what else he must do. He loves him. Accountability looks like this, friends. Sometimes we have to speak hard truths, but we always first love one another. In love, Jesus says, you lack one thing. Go and sell what you own. Give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then, he says, then come follow me. Now, in this world of statements that don't make sense and that we might struggle to wrap our minds around, there's finally something that I think makes sense to most of us here in this passage and in this verse. And maybe you can relate to this too. Not the part where Jesus says to go give everything up, but the part when the man went away shocked and grieving, right? Can you imagine how you might respond if you were told the only way to grow closer to God was to take everything you own and give it up? This man had many possessions, and so he goes away grieving. I think it's hard for us to imagine how life might be or how it might even be possible if we gave up everything that we had, everything. Now, to give up some of what we have is different, right? I could give up a lot. I could live on a lot less than I do. Millions of people live on less than I have. And yet I also know to do so would require a lot of me. A lot that I'm admittedly not quite ready to give up, right? Maybe this is true for you too. I mean, I could find ways to make it work if I didn't have a car, but that's sure hard in Watertown, South Dakota. Now, I don't need as many clothes as I have in my closet. That for sure I could give up without too much sacrifice. But other things would be harder too. Like what if I didn't get to travel as much? And I don't just mean to far off lands. I mean to see family and friends that I love and need in my community. Some of these things are going to be really hard. It might be okay, but it's going to be hard. But to take all that we have and give it away, then we start to ask questions like, where are we going to live? What are we going to eat? How are we going to retire someday? What is life going to look like? I'm sure that these are questions that not just I wonder, but maybe that you're asking too, whenever you hear Jesus say these words, there are certainly words and questions that I wonder about. So we like to ignore passages like this, to not talk about the difficult truths in here, to pretend like he didn't mean it literally, but Jesus didn't say, give up some of your stuff if you'd like to. Jesus said, go sell what you own. Give all the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And then you can come and follow me. He was pretty clear when he said, then let's talk about what it means to be faithful. And if we believe these words of Jesus and take them literally, does anyone's stomach turn a little bit when you think about how life would be different if we did that? About what Jesus is really asking here that's not a metaphor. I think Jesus really wants us to give it all up. 
And while I absolutely think that you would find joy and make an impact bigger than any of us will ever begin to understand if you were to give up all that you had to the church in order to help the poor and the outcast and the needy, I gotta be honest, Jesus doesn't say to give it to the church, right? This isn't me telling you that you should give up all that you have on stewardship week and give it to the church. Jesus says, give it up and give it to the poor, But here's the thing about this passage. You know how it ends with that backwards statement there at the end when Jesus talks about those who are first will be last and last will be first? We like to quote that line, don't we? Especially when we're standing, say, like in a line for food or something. We make light of this. But what Jesus is actually asking here is that we live into this in difficult ways and that we do so not for our own sake, not for just the sake of our own comfort zones, but for the sake of people and the kingdom of God around us. And I imagine many of us here today, we know just like this man surely did, that scripture calls on us over and over again to give generously. In fact, it tells us that we should tithe. The idea of a tithe is a biblical mandate when it talks about how we should act as stewards. A steward is to acknowledge that nothing that we have is ours. It's kind of on loan from God in a way, that all that we have and all that we are is God's. And so God has entrusted these gifts to us and as a way of saying thanks, we should take the first 10% of all that we have and we should give it back to God. That's what a tithe is. And if we don't tithe, the Bible says we should always be working to grow closer to that because it helps us to trust in God. And if we think about this, really it's not that much. It sounds like a lot, but when you compare it to Jesus telling us to give everything up, well, when we think about it, that's one out of every $10. It's $100 or it's $10 out of every $100 and so on. But the problem with this is that the more we have, the more it adds up. And the more it adds up, the harder it is. Wouldn't you agree? You see, the concept of tithing, it wasn't invented to create hardship. Instead, giving a dollar, if you only have $10 to eat on, that sounds pretty tough, doesn't it? But tell me, if you have $1,000 to eat on, is that gonna feel as difficult? Can you imagine having $1,000 to eat for a week? But bear with me as an example, right? Is there gonna be any concern of what you're going to eat in the week to come if you have $1,000 for a week? Definitely not, right? And that's the point. Because if you have $10 to start with, how are you likely to get through your week? Lots of prayer, some intentionality, maybe help from people around you. But if you have $1,000, well, I don't know about you, but if I had that much disposable income to have $1,000 to eat for a week, I'm pretty sure I'd be more likely to mindlessly spend it and more than wanting to eat out in restaurants, I think I'd just have a personal chef who took care of everything for me. Doesn't that sound great? You're laughing, but I know I can't be the only one who thinks that would be wonderful, right? This distinction is important because it's not actually about the food. It's just an easy example. But the ways that we give and the ways that we might struggle to give 100 out of every 1,000 as opposed to one out of every 10 is because of our hearts. You see, the greatest single problem with wealth is not the wealth itself. It's our attitude towards it. And Jesus knew that the more wealth that we accumulate, the more we are likely to trust in the wealth itself, to trust in our possessions and the wealth and the power that comes with it 
instead of trusting in God. And that's the problem. It's a heart problem. So whether we have money or not, we all likely know that wealth, it can be honestly acquired. And many of us have truly worked hard for the things that we have. But the truth is, even if honestly acquired, and even if generously shared, all that we have is actually God's. And to live in any other way is a pride problem. That, friends, is why it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God because it is hard to let go of our proverbial security blankets. The more we have, the harder it is to let go. And for the rich man in this story, following Jesus' call meant giving up all that he had for a life of discipleship. It meant letting go of the one thing that maintained the most power and control in his life, the one thing that stood between him and God. Is there something in your life that's standing between you and growing in your faith in God and letting go of your trust in God? Because Jesus knew that this man, he was faithful in nearly every aspect of his life. He was probably fairly generous even. But Jesus also knew that if he had to choose between his wealth and our God, it was not going to be an easy decision. Because fear is powerful, isn't it? And fear of being last, fear of not being cared for. My guess, if I had to guess, is that it's among our top fears, our most common ones. We are all a little bit, if not a lot, afraid of being last, of being left or left behind. We're also afraid of change that comes with that or the failure that we might feel accompanying it. We are afraid. But Jesus is telling his disciples here, he's telling us that there's not a need to be afraid because with God, all things are possible. Now, this sentence in scripture that all things are possible with God, it shows up more than once. Many of us have probably heard it before in various contexts. But I wonder when we read that sentence in this context, if we believe it, if we live it, if we trust it, if we are willing to let go of the things that hold us back, our fears of the impossible, our power or control in this life? Are we willing to let go in order to follow Jesus with all of who we are and all of what we have? Because while God may have previously asked for this tithe of 10%, the truth is here today, Jesus is asking for even more than that because God doesn't want just 10% of you. God wants all of you, your fears, your concerns, your imperfections and brokenness, possessions and generosity, your trust and your joy. God wants all of you, your prayers, your presence, your service and your witness. God wants your financial gifts too. God wants all of you, all that you have and all that you are. And so when we think of ways that we can give more fully to our God who has first given to us, 
We know that to tithe, to grow in the ways that we give, to grow closer to 10%, it's a step in the direction of trusting in God enough to know that all that has been, all that is and all that ever will be, God will be with you. God will provide even if in ways we don't always anticipate. And God will never let you down. And so may we seek to give today and every day, growing more and more moving forward, knowing that God wants all of you and all that you have and all that you are. Will you give it? Let's pray together. Faithful, generous God, who provides in ways that we see and in countless ways that we don't. We thank you for your abundance, for your generosity, and for the ways that you lead, guide, and prompt us. May you help us this day and every day to grow in our trust of you, to entrust all of who we are, all that you have given to us, all that we have and all that we long to be, as we seek to be your hands, your feet, and your hearts in this world. In the name of Jesus, your son. Amen. Thanks for joining us for the First Church Message of the Week. To stay connected, subscribe to this podcast and follow us on Facebook. For more information like our church calendar, worship times, and upcoming events, visit our website at watertownfirst.church. This has been the First Church Message of the Week.